uh, Drizzly. So it's so good to be with you. So um, I want to thank Pastors Alan and Yvette. And uh, like Alan said, we, my wife and I have known them for many years. And um, there's a story, it's a God story, of how our ministry, which is called European Initiative, and by the way, Generations Church has been supporting us for all 12 years that we've been in existence. And um, so you, you're going to see a video here in a second, and you share in the fruit what we're doing. Generations Church uh, is a great friend, but um, there's a story to how God spoke to my wife and I about a spiritual bridge, a spiritual airlift. And, and we use the word airlift because something happened after World War II where um, America flew water and food to keep West Berlin alive when the Russians blockaded West Berlin, which was the free part. And, and um, Yvette and uh, a German guy who was visiting them played a role in confirming this vision. It's kind of a long story. You can't go into it, but I believe it's on our website. But anyway, I also want to thank Pastors uh, Greg and Marietta Harrell, your uh, other leaders here, uh, elder in the house, they have loved us, and I've stayed in their home before. We love this church. And I want to recognize Blake and Katie Davis. Blake is in the back. He's making sure this video is going to work. Blake is our director of development, and they're a member of Gateway Church. Katie has been to Germany two or three, three years uh, with us. And then Yvonne and Dan Gert. Yvonne, raise your hand. Yvonne and Dan, long time friends from Shady Grove Church, which is now Gateway Church, Grand Prairie, and they made the drive from Grand Prairie to Grand Barry. And Dan, Dan said he's just going to go to cities, you know, today that, that are grand, right? <laughs> uh, but Yvonne is our USA administrator and uh, just a great support, uh, really the glue that keeps everything together in the USA. So, um, uh, I want to take you to Europe right now, and uh, we're going to see a quick little 40-second video. So pay attention. Then I'm going to show you a, a slightly longer video. So Blake and the guys in, in the booth, just play it. Charming, isn't it? Don't be deceived. Europe is dying right before your eyes. European Initiative mobilizes the church to Europe. Be the answer. Bring hope to Europe. Okay, I bet you didn't know that the, the famous Time Magazine quote, um, Europe is a mess, Europe is spiritually broken. Um, a uh, big newspaper in London just concluded a two-year survey of the next generation of Europeans, uh, 16 to like 30-year-olds. And here is the headline from that article, The Rise of an Anti-Christian Europe. And then here's a subheadline that Christianity as the norm in Europe is gone, comma, probably gone forever or for at least the next 100 years. And you know my response to that? I don't buy it. Amen. I don't buy it. I believe God is the God of the second chance. And Europe generally 
for many reasons. Part of it's World War II, part of it's the Holocaust, part of it's just religion, you know, the, the alive, organic church that we see in the book of Acts in Europe became the, the just a huge orga, theocratic organization, the Catholic Church, even Lutheran Church, others, and it's choked the life out of the simplicity of devotion to God. But now I'm going to show you what we're doing to bring the gospel to Europe. You saw a little clip here. This is uh, the King's University. The King's University is based not that far from here in South Lake, Texas, um, and we mobilized a team to the cities of Prague and Budapest last year. Can we show that video now? of the great cities, Prague, Budapest. We're in the villages of Slovakia, ministering in schools and, and proclaiming good news to people who really don't have access to the gospel. Being able to talk to these people who are lost and see the, almost the death in their eyes that they feel, um, it's been heartbreaking. Just to allow him to work through my mouth um, to spread the gospel has been life-changing. These people are lost and they're hurting and they just need the love of God and so really this trip has just changed my entire life. <clears throat> what I didn't realize about taking the gospel to the streets and the villages and the schools is that so many people just haven't heard about Jesus and who he is. And they've heard about religion and they've heard about rules and all of that, but they don't know about a relationship with Jesus. And so as we would talk to people and engage in conversation, we'd get to know them. And I would say, there's a verse in the Bible that says, God is love. And their eyes would just soften. And it's like they never heard that before. There's a God who is love. TKU, I want to thank you for sending an incredible team of students and leaders 
with EI in Czech Republic, Hungary, and Slovakia. Your team brought the relentless love of Jesus Christ to thousands of the lost sheep of Europe. This has been an incredible experience for us, and I encourage any student at the King's who wants to be a part of this partnership with EI, take advantage of it. Your life will never be the same. Brothers and sisters, uh, it is my wife and my wife's and my greatest joy to do what we do. We are living in the book of Acts, and uh, um, I, I'm sorry that I get a little emotional after saying that. But you see that you see the Americans, their lives are impacted as much as the Europeans, because they're living in what we're called to do. We're sharing our faith. We're putting it all out there. We're leaving nothing on the playing field. And um, Katie and Yvonne, could you come up here? Katie, could you go that way? And this is a flyer that says God's heart for Europe. And uh, maybe, sir, or, or you guys pass the flyer that way. And we have two. You can look at it. But basically what we do, we're crazy. And uh, I mean, but, you know, sometimes as believers we put God in a box. He, he wants us to get out of the box. And, and we do flash mobs. We use Europe is different from America in many ways. But here's one of the big differences. We live in our houses and our cars. Europeans are on the streets of their cities, especially as it gets to the spring and summer. And if you want to go fishing and share the gospel with the lost, all you have to do is go in a big city and in a square. And, and they love musicians. They love any form of creativity. And all these musicians and jugglers and whatever, uh, I've even seen fire eaters on the streets, they've got a guitar case open, they want money. And what we want is something even more than their money. We want their hearts. We want their souls for the Lord. So, so if, you saw, if you notice in the video, there are huge crowds. It's Book of Acts stuff. And then we, we had a photographer go up to a clock tower to get some of those above ground shots, and she was amazed at what she saw. Because these are just people in the public. We're just going, imagine going into downtown Chicago or New York, a big American city, and you do something, and people just gather. Well, one time, the people gathered randomly, just total, total random in the shape of a heart. Did you see that? And that's what that flyer. And we, and we put that photo on social media, and it so encouraged the body of Christ in Europe. Because the body of Christ in Europe is precious, but they're small. Europe right now is the least evangelized continent in the world. And that's why we're there. You know, Jesus calls us to be light. Well, if we're going to be light, we need to be immersed in darkness for the light to really have its full impact. Anyway, let's pray because I need to get preaching here. So, Lord, I thank you for Alan, Yvette. I thank you for this church. Generations Church, and I just pray that you would just speak through me, Holy Spirit, that I would be able to impart your heart to my brothers and sisters here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And uh, I called out, or didn't call Alan, I, I messaged him uh, maybe six, eight weeks ago, I don't know what, and I said, Alan, um, I, uh, I could not sleep a few nights ago. I was up at 2 or 3 a.m., 
and I wasn't, I had no reason to be thinking of Generations Church, where by God's grace, a lot of churches support us and, and help keep us on the mission field, but I, I couldn't sleep, and it was 2 or 3 a.m., and the Lord gave me a word for your church, and I said, Alan, may I preach? I said, the only Sunday I will be in America in the next few months is Palm Sunday, and I said, it's not a traditional, it's not a Palm Sunday message um, directly, but um, anyway, and, and, and Alan, you know, my brother who I've loved and been friends with for so many years. We met in the 80s. Alan, you left this part out. We met in 1987, but we were both 15 years old then. So, you know. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, he, he said, yes, Jeff, come. So, listen, this is a hard message that I'm going to share. It's not a message that's really, I pray it encourages you, but I've never, I've preached many places, many continents, by God's grace, I'm just an ordinary man, but I've never preached a message which is an appeal. And I come to you, and I make an appeal to you as your brother in Christ. Um, I'm appealing to your conscience. And this is what I would call a look in the mirror of your soul message. I want you to, as I speak God's word, I, I want you to reflect if 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 I can, can connect what God has put in my heart with your heart, then we have success today. So the message is titled Refocus. Just like a camera can get out of focus, I think some of us, including myself, I can get out of focus sometimes. And this message is about taking that lens of the Holy Spirit and refocusing on what is important in our lives, what is important Maybe not to you right now, but to Jesus Christ. And wouldn't you know it, my phone is ringing. Let me make sure I have it off. That's the world we live in today, right? <laughs> okay. He's off. So, my message is based on three questions. The first question is, who am I? And, um, you know, you're, you're Charlie, you're John, you're Betty, you're, you know, Marie, you're... You're a father, you're a mother, you're a grandparent, you're maybe a son, maybe your brother or sister, maybe you're a plumber, maybe you're a school teacher, maybe you're an entrepreneur, maybe you're a pastor. I mean, there are many things that we can say in response to who am I, but I'm really asking that question in the light of who are you in the eyes of God? Who are you? Why, are, why is he, why, why did he save you? Why did he reveal himself to you? Why does he have you on this earth? Who am I? And uh, there's a lot spoken on identity today. You can go to a Christian bookstore or some, you know, Amazon online, whatever, and you can type in uh, Christian identity or my identity in Christ, and you can find books written on being a son or daughter, and that's of utmost importance. When we share the gospel to Europeans, you know, we, we, we emphasize relationship. We don't emphasize religion. They've had it up to their eyeballs with do's and don'ts and sit and stand and, you know, in, in a Catholic mass service, etc. But there's a lot written today about I'm a son or daughter, and that's so important. That is, that's what I passed on to my kids and in, my, in spiritual sons and daughters I'm in relationship with. 
So Romans 8, 13 to 17 talks a lot about that. We could say, who am I? I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And we can go to 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and that affirms us. Who am I? I am loved. And obviously, we can go to John 3, 16. We can go to Romans 8, 35, 39. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, a powerful passage that says there's nothing in life or death that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So, you know, we need to have these things, these eternal truths, as, as, as part of who I am. We, this, these are important parts of our identity. But one part of I, our identity that is rarely mentioned from a pulpit today, or, you know, you won't find many books on it, and this is an important part of your identity and mine, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't really sell today, does it? It's not, it's not so uplifting. You know, we are, we chase grace in today's world. We're grace chasers. And that phrase seems a little heavy and legalistic. But who said it? Well, the Apostle Paul said it. His first epistle, Romans 1.1, he said, it seems like a contradiction. He said, I, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. How do you have bondservant and apostle in the same verse? Well, if you really think about it, it makes all the sense in the world. In Peter and James, in their epistles, they, they say, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. But don't let Satan put a drop of deceit in your mind to say, okay, well, I understand that the apostles, the quote-unquote big guys, you know, Paul, Peter, uh, James, and others, John, said that they were bondservants, but so did the ordinary sheep. In, in Acts 10, um, excuse me, in Acts uh, 4, 29, the believers said, uh, Lord, let thy bondservants speak thy word with all boldness. They, they connected being a bondservant with sharing the gospel. Because we're not going to share the gospel until we're yielded. Um, so Galatians 2, 20 says that I am crucified with Christ. Yvette, it's no longer Yvette who lives. It's Jesus who lives through her. So being a bondservant is the crucified life. So um, Romans 6.22 is an interesting verse. Um, I mean, talk about a paradigm within one sentence. Uh, and this is not up on the screen. So just listen. It's Romans 6.22. It says that... Uh, <clears throat> we are freed from sin. How many of you as Americans, as Texans, love? We love our freedom, don't we? We love our freedom. We're freed from sin and enslaved to God. How can freedom and slavery be in the same verse? Because if you really want to know what biblical freedom is, Jesus said in John 8, 32, what? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But it's not free to do whatever we want. It's free from the power of sin. It's, it's taking that yoke of bondage off of us so that we are free to give our whole hearts, to serve him completely. So here's a verse that we have up on the screen, uh, Galatians 1.10. And this is, man, I love the Apostle Paul. He's my hero. Look at what he says here. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? 
if I were striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, I'm making an appeal to you. Our flesh craves comfort. Our flesh wants to insulate us from pain, from rejection, from suffering. Um, you know, we hear a lot about fellowship, about fellowship with our Lord, about fellowship with the body of Christ. But how many of you embrace what Jesus talked about, what Paul talked about, the fellowship of his sufferings? The fellowship of his sufferings. And the early church did. They experienced the fellowship of his sufferings. In fact, there's a verse, 2 Corinthians 1.5, that says the sufferings are of Christ are ours in abundance. But how come in the, in the year 2019, in the Western world, we don't really experience suffering? Now, you know, Scripture's not saying that, that, Greg, you should suffer like Christ and die on a cross. I mean, he did that once for all. But the suffering that he's referring to that the early church experienced was what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. That, you know, we will be, that we're blessed when we're reviled. You know that word reviled? It, it, if you look it up in the Greek, it's a very strong word. It means that people will cast insults upon you. They will despise you. It's just like what was prophesied about Jesus, Jesus in Isaiah 53. He would be despised, reviled, rejected, beaten, mocked. And Scripture says, again, I'm making an appeal to you. I'm making an appeal that, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that let's leave this building and figure out how we can be a martyr for Jesus Christ, but I will say to be a martyr would be a great way to go to heaven, wouldn't it? Um, but, uh, but we, as believers... As bondservants, there's a calling on us to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. But it's a win-win. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, we're blessed when we're persecuted for his name's sake. So this verse, Galatians 1.10, my brothers and sisters, this is right where we live. This is where we will experience this verse on Monday, on Tuesday, when we leave the safe confines of Generations Church. Am I seeking the favor of men on my job? Will I compromise? Will I be silent when I'm around people I work with or I go to school with or in my neighborhood who I know are lost and going to hell, but I butt my lip because I don't want to offend anybody? Or will I embrace the fellowship of his sufferings? It doesn't matter if we're rejected, despised, or mocked. We, we, we conform to the image of Jesus Christ. So do you seek the favor of men or of God. Who am I? The first question, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And Blake and I were at a conference in Alabama. It was a church planning conference, an organization called ARC, Association of Related Churches. And it was all about planting churches, but we had a booth there for our ministry, European Initiative, and uh, they had a workshop for the pastors who are planning churches on missions. They had one workshop on missions, so obviously I'm a missionary, I went to it. I was not the speaker, I just was attending this conference. And there's a pastor from Virginia who was the lead speaker in this workshop. And what he shared with me is maybe the most riveting story I've ever heard in my life. 
about just being crucified with Christ and being a bondservant. And I don't have time to embellish and tell you the whole story, but I'm going to give you a Reader's Digest version. So this pastor from Virginia, he, he just felt a calling a few years ago to go to the hardest place. And it's a nation in the Middle East, um, and he, he's been living in Turkey, Iraq, and other nations, but he, he ended up, uh, God privileged him to lead many Muslims to Christ, and he was working with national Christians who were doing the same. And uh, he was at a home meeting, and he did not mention the, the city or the name of the nation, because there's an Al-Qaeda operative in the city, and he kind of, or this village, he kind of was the tribal leader, so to speak, of the village. And, uh, and then, he, and then he, he came back, he, he left the city and was somewhere else in the Middle East. And, and these Muslims who converted to Jesus Christ, most of them were young, about 25 in this home meeting, they, um, they, they were in prayer, and, and the Lord said to them, you must share the gospel with the Al-Qaeda you know, tribal leader of this, this you know, enclave, this village, whatever. And they prayed, and one of the young men said, I will go. And he went, and he shared the gospel with this Al-Qaeda murderer, this, this Muslim terrorist. And he, he was not even one kilometer. He shared the gospel, and the Al-Qaeda man rejected it, and, and it got him angry. And, you know, he does the Akbar, Allah, whatever, uh, you know, chant. And within one kilometer after leaving, he was murdered. Now, what would happen if you were one of the remaining 24 in that home meeting and you hear this report? Maybe you think we've got to flee to another city because they know about us or we're going to hide and lock our doors or, you know, we're never going to do that again. No, that's not their response. They prayed and they sent another. A few weeks later, he was also martyred for Jesus Christ. And then it went up to seven and eight over a period of some weeks. And eight were martyred for Jesus Christ. See, they were bondservants. They were crucified with Christ. It didn't matter if they were mocked or despised. Heaven is their gain. Eighteen over a few months were killed. 18, the home meeting got down to 7. The 19th went, and he said the same thing the others said. And he said, I have no fear of death. My brothers and sisters are with Christ right now in heaven. In the moment you kill me, I will be with my Savior. But you, sir, you do not have that promise. You do not have that certainty. And you will be judged. The blood of the martyrs is on your hands. And that Al-Qaeda operative got on his knees and he started crying out to Jesus. And he repented and he gave his life to the Lord. It came with a lot of blood. Okay, the next question, the second question today. Who do I love? Well, um, does anybody here love Jesus? Raise your hand. Hopefully we all do. How many of you love yourself? How many of you love yourself a little bit? It's healthy to love yourself a little bit, um, but our problem is we become, um, how can I say, self-obsessed Christians too much. 
um, we live in a world that really loves, loves me, right? I mean, I'll give you an example. Dan, let's take a picture. Ah! Okay, I want to be in it. What's that called? A selfie. It's kind of uh, symptomatic of our world that we're so, you know, there are magazines. You can go to Walgreens, whatever, and buy Me Magazine. I'll give you another example that sometimes we're a little too self-absorbed with me. So Pastor Allen said in the first service there are about 250 people. They call Generations Church Home. Imagine if we put up on the screens, maybe you, had a, you have a big uh, retreat or a picnic, and we have uh, 200 or so people from Generations Church. Who's the first person you look for in the picture? Be honest. Who's the first person? Me, ourselves. And we better look good. And here's the deal of that. Alan could be standing next to you in his eyes closed, mouth open, one of those awkward moments. This wouldn't happen to Alan, but it might happen to me, drooling at the side of my mouth. But if that looks good, I like that photo, right? <laughs> uh, so a little bit of self-love is all right, but getting a little bit more serious right now, do you really love Jesus Christ? Are we really crucified with him? So there are two classic passages in the New Testament where Jesus challenges his followers, followers about his love for them. And one is the end of John, the end of the Gospel of John. You guys know the story. Jesus is talking to Peter and asking him three times, do you love me? They were using different Greek words. Jesus was asking, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? But uh, there's another passage, John 14. And we have John 14, 15. Now, this is another verse that, you know, isn't preached that much. But these, if you have a red-letter Bible, like I do, this is in red. These are the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus. He says to you, ma'am, he says to you, sir, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, we chase grace, don't we? And I, hey, I love grace. I, I am so grateful for grace. Don't, don't, don't put me in a box that I'm against grace. But sometimes... In the name of grace, we think we don't have to do anything. We, we think we're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. And we're not saved by our works, but he has prepared things for us to do. He's, he, we are on mission. The great missionary, Wayne Myers, you guys probably heard this at Shady Grove years ago. The great missionary to Mexico, CFNI teacher. Um, one of his daughters is a missionary in Spain right now. We've partnered with her. But he said... There are two kinds of people on, on this earth, either missionaries or the mission field. And, um, but anyway, we, we, we should have a sense of duty, a sense of I am on mission. So here he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And uh, uh, then in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. I mean, does he love us no matter what? Is his love for us unconditional? Dan, if you blow it and you just, you, you, you say, Lord, I, 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 you've told me to do this, 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 and I haven't been faithful, I just haven't done it, I've been a rebellious son, would you forgive me? Is his love still there? Of course. I just read Romans 8, 35 through 39. Nothing can separate us from his love. Once we're a son, we're a son. But my brothers and sisters, he has 
commandments for us to walk in. And so he says, I just gave you two verses in John 14, that if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to do what I tell you to do. In other words, what are his commandments? And he makes it easy for us. He summarizes, you know, all the law in, in doing two things, or maybe three, to love the Lord God with all your heart. This is found in, in, in Matthew 22, 35. You know, he's talking to a lawyer, and uh, he says, upon these two depend all the law and the prophets, to love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your heart, and to love your neighbor as yourself to love your neighbor as yourself. So see, we need to love ourselves. We need to have a healthy view of, of who we are in Jesus Christ, that we are loved so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. But Luke 10, he goes, a little deep, he goes a little deeper. The lawyer then says to him in response, he says, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the parable we all know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So in other words, Jesus helps explain how we love our neighbor. We, we provide for their needs. We get our hands dirty. We get involved with, with their lives. See, we take action. And there's a lot of confusion in our world today about many things. There's confusion about what it is to be a Christian. I live in Europe where I've talked to people who say, um, I'm a Christian, uh, I'm Catholic. Then I talk to them five minutes later. They don't, they've never read the Bible. They don't believe that Jesus, they believe Jesus was a moral man, not the son of God. They believe it's in some kind of an energy force, but they were baptized as a two-week-old two as a Catholic, so that's part of their identity. There's a lot of mixed-up stuff about what is a Christian. There's a lot of mixed-up stuff about what is love. Love is more than a mushy emotion. Love is more than a feeling. What's your name, sir? John. Okay, in the Gospel of John, the word says in John 3.16, for God so loves you, John, that he says you're awesome. For God so loves you, John, that he has warm feelings about you. No, he doesn't say he so loves you and he says nice things about you or he has gooey feelings about you. He so loves you, he gave his life for you. You want an Easter message? His blood dripped to the ground for you, John. He demonstrated his love for you. We're going to look at Romans 5 in a little bit, and, and we'll go into more detail about that. So love is action. We have a uh, slide about that. Love is expressed through giving. So I just mentioned Easter, and uh, Easter is a week away. Do you guys know, it's in the crazy world I live in, I fly from here to Romania, uh, excuse me, from here to Berlin tomorrow. I'm in Berlin for a day, and then I fly to Romania. We are bringing the world's uh, top Christian dance company, maybe some of you have heard of Ballet Magnificat. We're bringing Ballet Magnificat to the streets of Brasov, Romania, into theaters, to the streets of Budapest, to the streets of Berlin, Cologne, many, many cities. Cologne is a West German city. And uh, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna bring the arts to city centers, to theaters, and it's all about evangelism, the gospel. But here's the weird deal. Romania, because of the influence of the Orthodox Church, celebrates Easter a week later than we do in the West. So next Sunday, I'll be in Romania on Easter Sunday, and it's Palm Sunday there. So I have two Palm Sundays. <laughs> Where are the coconuts, you know? <laughs> but uh, I am not going to be in a church on Easter Sunday. That's a big loss for me. 
So I think next Sunday when I'm in Romania, on Palm Sunday there, because I'm not in Romania two, two straight weeks, the Sunday after next, uh, the week after Easter in the West, I'm back in Germany in church, and Easter has already come and gone. Do you follow all that? So Yvonne, I think when I'm in Romania on Palm Sunday next week, I'm going to stand up in the middle of the service and say, He is risen! And hope that somebody says he, he is risen indeed. Yeah. But so Easter was on my mind um, a few weeks ago. I was back in Budapest, Hungary with a team from Arkansas. And we are in a public school. It's a long story as to how we can get in public schools. But we, we have a general assembly where we share the American culture. Then we break up into small groups with the students. And we build relationship. And depending on the school and the arrangement we have with the principal, these are public schools, we sometimes can share a little bit or a lot about faith. And in this school, we had quite a bit of liberty. So I'm there in a small group. We were sitting in a circle. Imagine this. Imagine doing this in a public high school in Granbury. We're in a small group, and the leader from the Arkansas church, and I'm there with some of our European Initiative staff, and uh, we're, we're talking about the American culture. We're talking about the Hungarian culture. Then we flip the switch, and we start talking about Easter's coming about three or four weeks from now. And what does Easter mean to you? What, what do you do in Hungary? Do you, do you dye Easter eggs? Do you do this or that? And then we said, uh, do any of you go to church? Will you be going to church in, in a few weeks on Easter? And we asked for a raise of hands. And these students, they were 17, 18, 19. They all looked at each other like we were men from the moon. Go to church on Easter? Now, we have spring break. We're off from school. Not one of them went to church on Easter and, or was planning on going. So the Arkansas leader was, we had some liberty that we could share our testimony. And I was so grieved that none of the kids were going to church on Easter. I could tell by looking at their faces, you could see the world stamped. Some of the girls had half head shaved, you know, their, half their hair was shaved. I, and I'm not saying that doesn't always mean anything, but most of the time it does. And you could see piercings, other things. And I just could see the stamp of the world on them. I went up to the teacher who was in our circle 25. And I said, teacher, um, I used to live in Hungary. I have a real heart for the Hungarian people. May I share a little more about the real meaning of Easter. So I stood up after the uh, Arkansas missions pastor shared a bit of his testimony. And I said, kids, we talked about Easter, you know, 10 minutes ago. And I know none of you are going to church. But you know that the Friday before Easter, it's called Good Friday. And I said, why is that day called good? Because, see, a man named Jesus, you've heard the story, but this man named Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. He was brutalized. And, and he, his, his wrists were pierced. A, a spear was thrust in his side. And, and, and they said you could not even recognize his face. He was so beaten. And his blood dripped to the ground. And as I was saying all these things, my 40-something Hungarian translator, who's a Christian, started weeping. Tears came down her cheeks. The Holy Spirit was so thick in the room. And I just challenged those kids. And I said, here's why it's good. Because he paid for your sins. He took your place. And if you open up your hearts and receive him. And I said to the teacher, I just put the pedal to the metal. And I said, teacher, can I pray for them? And the teacher said, yes, you can pray. And we did everything but have an altar call where they came up front in the circle. But the gospel went forward. And here we are on Palm Sunday, 
And I want to tell you that he paid a price for the lost people all around you. And do you love them? Do you love whom Jesus loves? And here's a good litmus test to know if you love. And again, I'm making an appeal to your hearts today. I'm asking you to humble yourself before God, to look at the spiritual mirror of your soul. And maybe, maybe you're indifferent, maybe you're a little apathetic, maybe you're a little self-obsessed. Or, you know, and I don't mean that in a harsh way. I am too. I'm pointing the finger right back at me. Maybe you're just plain afraid to ever jump out of your skin. But here's a litmus test to see how much you love your Lord. Do you love whom he loves? Do you love whom he loves? And I'm going to tell you who he loves. He loves the despised. He loves the poor. He loves the broken. He loves the sinner. He loves the prostitute. He loves the leper. He loves the blind. He loves the broken. He loves the LGBT. I don't embrace what they do. But he loves the person. He died for them. He even loves the blue state liberal. Put up the next photo. Would you love her? Would you love her if she was standing behind you in the aisle or in the line at HEB? Would you love her if your cart went by her in the Walmart store? Well, I'm telling you, your Lord and Savior Jesus loves her. And his blood dripped to the ground for her. And we met her at the Gothic Festival outside of Berlin that we go to every year because he has called us to be light. And light has no value. If you go out in your parking lot and you turn on the flashlight of your cell phone, you're crazy. What difference does that light make if you go out in that parking lot at 12 noon on a sunny day? But if you go into parts of Chicago at 3 a.m., that light on your cell phone might save your light. You follow me? Well, we are called to be light. And there's darkness all around you in Granbury. The question is, are you going to jump out of the comfort, the safety of your own skin and get in a boat with a person? Because I'm telling you what, Jesus didn't create her to be that way. He did not create her to be full of bondage and chains, not outside, but in her heart. He loves her. So, Lord, make this your prayer. This is a prayer. Put up the next slide, please. This is our prayer when we go into battle in Europe. Lord, break my heart for what breaks your heart. The third question. Where am I going? We Christians are great at being busy. We, you know, I've got white hair here. I can remember when I was 20 years old, you know, in college and, and my life has flown by. I have no regrets. I have no regrets. I, I love, I count each day as a gift from, Lord, from the Lord. But if we're not careful, our life can be accumulated as, as being spectator Christians. And Pastor Allen, we need to be spectator Christians on Sunday. We need to assemble as a body of Christ. So I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sitting in a chair a few days a week. But we have to be careful that our life is not consumed with, oh, I'm a Christian because I just sent my Facebook friends a little encouraging, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I go to this conference. I'm a Christian. I, you know, I, I watch so-and-so preach online. Um, 
you know, all that's good, all that's good, but is it the best? Is it the best? Are we taking time to just pour Jesus out of us? You know, God showed me a picture of a, actually, I, I actually did this illustration in Serbia um, maybe a year or so ago of a sponge. How many of you ever use a sponge in the kitchen or to wash your car or whatever? A dry sponge is worthless, right? It's worthless. But we, in a sense, are sponges getting soaked, getting filled by the Holy Spirit. But something, something happens to that sponge when it is completely full. You can, you can run water. You can hold it under a sink. And when that sponge is saturated with water, you can run water over that sponge under a sink. And guess what? All the water runs right off because it's full. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to squeeze us, to squeeze the life and the love, the spirit, the living water of Jesus that's in us on women like her and the, and the person that looks just like you, sir. They may not look like that, but they might look just like you, but they might have found out two weeks earlier they have cancer. They might be like the woman. Um, oh, I didn't even share it. I shared it in the first service. I just flew in a grandmotherly type woman sitting right next to me. I had my headphones ready to listen to some worship music and get in the Word. I had my Bible in the lap so she knew I was a Christian. And I started talking to her. This grandmotherly woman is an atheist, has been an atheist all her life. And, you know, would I have had a more enjoyable flight doing what I wanted to do? Maybe. But, hey, it's not about us being happy. It's not about our own comfort levels. It's about giving ourselves away. So the third question, where am I going? Dan and I were trading jokes about, well, actually, his story wasn't a joke, true story. But he, he was telling me about a pilot who got on the PA system. He said, I have good news, bad news. What was it, Dan? The good news, the bad news is the engine is out. The good news is it's not on fire. <laughs> that wouldn't be so funny if you're sitting in the uh, cabin. But sometimes as Christians, I, I can relate to, um, to this joke. So the pilot says, it's a, this is a real joke, not something that happened like Dan expressed. So the pilot says, I've got good news, bad news. First, the bad news. You know, we've been flying for an hour. We're at 30,000 feet. And we're lost, and I have no idea where we are. That's the bad news. The good news is we're ahead of schedule. <laughs> and that's, that's like our lives sometimes. We're on that treadmill. We're like that hamster on the wheel. We're busy, 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 rushing from one thing to another. And we're so busy, we're ahead of schedule, but we really don't have a plan. Jesus has a plan. And he has a vision for our life. And before we get to the next verse, let me just ask you a question. How many of you would say, I asked how many of you are Christians, how many of you would say you're really disciples? You have decided to follow Jesus. Raise your hands. I, I see about 60%. Alan, you've got a lot of work to do. Come on, raise your hands. How many of you are disciples, followers of Jesus Christ? Okay, that's what I thought. Just about every hand has gone up. Okay. So I told you that there's a lot of confusion about love. There's a lot of confusion about what is a Christian, I'm going to give you two words that define what it is to be a Christian. And those two words are, follow me. Katie, come on up here. Yeah, come on up here all the way. Yeah. Okay. So 
you have to pretend Katie is Peter right now with a big black beard, okay? But when Jesus was walking on the earth, his disciples literally followed him. So when he saw lepers, he said, Katie, it's going to, it's going to smell here, but it's okay. It's okay, just trust me. We're going we're gonna to heal them. We're going to set them free. And, and, and she followed him. She could smell the stench of the leprosy. And then they went over here. And Katie, you see all those men holding rocks. And you see that woman on the ground. And, and we're, we're going to save a life right here. We're going to show her love. We're going to rescue a life. And, and she followed Jesus so that the dust from the stones as they threw them down would fall on her cheeks and so forth. Thank you, Katie. And, you know, they're walking on the road and, and a, a leaf and a branch falls on her shoulder because she's following Jesus when a man named Zacchaeus is up on a tree and, and they look up and, and he invites him to dinner that night. And you understand when you follow Jesus, put the verse up, Matthew 1 or Mark 1, 17. These are the first words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And they're in all four Gospels, John 1, Matthew 4, and in Luke. Uh, actually, his very first words in, in Mark 1 or verse 15, um, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is near to you. Repent and believe in the Gospel. So he introduces the kingdom in salvation. And notice what he says. He doesn't just say, receive my love. He says, repent and believe in the Gospel. That is the Gospel. That is salvation. When there's repentance and turning, turning from me to turning to faith in Jesus Christ. But then he introduces discipleship, and he says two words, follow me. And then look at the next words, and I will make you. My brothers and sisters, if you allow him, if you take a step towards him today, tomorrow, whenever, and you say, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, my heart has grown cold. My heart has grown stubborn. My heart, I am a fearful person. I'm not walking in the truth of Galatians 1.10. I fear man. I want to please man more than please you. I've been a man pleaser or a woman pleaser most of my life. And will you make me? Will you recreate my heart? Will you put your heart in mine? Will you give me the spiritual unction from inside. Would you form your compassion in me? Because I'm telling you, here's where we have it wrong. Evangelism or sharing our faith is not something you do. It's not a checklist. It's who you are or, who, or it's who you are not, depending on your willingness to follow him. He could have said a lot of things here. Follow me and I'll make you a worshiper. Your worship team, Alan, is great. The worship was great. <clears throat> but you know what? The worship in heaven is going to be better. He could have said, follow me, I'll make you an intercessor. Intercession is important. We should pray without ceasing. <clears throat> he could have said, follow me, and I'll make you a student of the word. I don't know why he finished this verse this way, but this is the first thing he says about being a disciple. And, and, and here's why, I believe. Because we're going to be in the presence of the word in heaven, Jesus. We won't really have to intercede because we'll be right there with him. We'll be talking with him. The worship, we're going to be worshiping, casting our crowns like the elders. Um, 
But one thing we can't do in heaven is save a lost soul. It will be too late. <clears throat> it will be too late. So where are you going? Are you going with Jesus? Because I'll tell you where he's going. He's going to the women like you just saw. He's going to the, he's going to the, the broken, the hurting, the lost. Um, being a Christian is never about the comfortable. It's about the meaningful. And we cling. We cling to what's comfortable. We insulate ourselves. We so insulate ourselves. I talked about the fellowship of his sufferings, that we don't experience that. But it's all through the New Testament. So what is he, what is he talking about? How is that relevant to us? It's worth it. It's worth it, my brothers and sisters. When, when the atheist on that flight from Salt Lake City to Denver this time last week, when this grandmother said, I'm an atheist, and I said, well, what happened in your life to cause you to be an atheist? She said, I've always been an atheist. And she looked at me with, with, with just anger in her eyes, and she said, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you that you are believing all this fairy tale stuff. And I said, don't feel sorry for me. Knowing Jesus is the joy of my heart. And then she took a book out. She didn't want to talk to me anymore. But at the end of the flight, the whole flight, I was just praying. I was praying, Lord, reveal yourself to her. And at the very end of the flight, I, she had a huge, heavy backpack, the kind of backpack a 20-year-old would take backpacking around Europe. And uh, she was actually traveling from Salt Lake to, to Denver to go to Boulder to participate in the World Count Council of Foreign Affairs, which is probably you know, liberal gobbledygook, but whatever. But anyway, at the end of the flight, I said to her, her name is Sarah. I said, Sarah, uh, I respect your, your decision not to believe, and you're free to do whatever you want. But as I gave her the backpack, I said, you don't believe in God, but he believes in you. And I, I don't know what happened to that seed, but guys, I'm going, to take some, I'm going to take the elephants off your shoulders. I'm talking about making your lives count. I'm talking about who am I? You're a bond servant. Who do you love? I love Jesus. So that means I love whom Jesus loves. And now I'm talking about where am I going? And you're holding his hand and you're going with him. And, and some of the places he's taking you are to his lost sons and daughters. And um, I, had a, I had a point on top of that to have to do with the woman. I can't remember. Sorry. Um, maybe it'll come back. So where is he going? He's always about the one. He'll leave the 99 to run after the one. He'll leave one son to go after the prodigal son. He's always about the one. And some of you might think, okay, um, well, let me tell you a quick story. I, uh, Alan, how am I for time? Do we have another five, eight minutes? Okay. I was at a church in Berlin, and this church knows that European Initiative, we're, we're kind of in the front line of evangelism. Hey, I live in a city that's 0.3% saved. 0.3. saved. Gateway Church up in South Lake has twice as many believers as the city of Berlin, and the city of Berlin is bigger than Chicago. So imagine that. So 0.3% saved. And um, um, 
we have to go after the one. And there was another thought I just lost, but sorry. Oh, here's the thought. So I was talking to a, a pastor in Berlin, and he knows that our ministry is very evangelism-centric. And he said, Jeff, meet Benny. That's the real name. Meet Benny over here. He's our church evangelist. He's our church guy that does evangelism. And I just walked, I met Benny, but I was so sad. I was so sad that this pastor, and it's one of the strongest churches in Berlin. It's about three or 400, which makes it maybe the second or third largest church in the city. And I was so sad that the pastor saw it that way, that this one guy, he's kind of the checklist. He checks the box for the church. He's the one who goes out, and, and uh, he had a ministry to wayward teens, and he represents evangelism for the whole church. I thought, Pastor, you're missing it. You're missing. We are all called to be salt and light. Just, just follow me. Some of these are on the slide, some are not. This next one is not. Acts 10.42. Peter, in the context of sharing the gospel with Cornelius, you remember the vision of the blankets and all the animals? And, and he goes to a Gentile who, who Jews thought were unclean. He shares the gospel to their family. And towards the end, Peter says to them, 10, Acts 10.42, Jesus ordered us, some translations, he commanded us to preach the gospel to the people. We don't like that word. We don't like anybody to order us to do anything. But is he our captain? Is he the captain of the host? Are we his bondservants? Are we crucified with Christ? Is he our Savior and our Lord, or just our Savior? Our Lord has ordered us to preach the gospel. So don't sit here and say, I don't have the personality for it. I'm too old. I'll never change. I'm too young. I don't know enough. I'm in the middle and whatever the middle is. Don't sit here and say to yourself, oh, that's for Jeff or that's for others. It's for you. It's for you. He ordered, he ordered us to preach the gospel. Acts Acts 1.8. Chris, could you come up here? We're, before we look at Acts 1.8, how many of you are baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you know the, Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I tell you, it transformed my life. Salvation transformed my life, but I was a wimpy Christian. I was a compromising Christian. And then I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, you know, so I can relate to Peter, who went from coward to courageous man of God after the baptism. And look at this verse, and I've highlighted two words. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then what's the rest? And you shall be my witnesses. Does it say you might be? Does it say if you choose to be? Does it say, uh, it says you shall be. You shall be my witnesses. Turn to 2 Corinthians. This is not up on the screen. I want you to read this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Or we'll start with verse 18. Second, I need to take a breath anyway. 2 Corinthians 5, 18. You know, another point at which we are confused is the whole concept of ministry. And it comes from the historical churches where you have the priest and you have the laity. We are all priests. That's another part of our identity. We are New Testament priests, but look at these two. Alan and Yvette, they are pastors. They are in the ministry. You, sir, are in the ministry. 
I don't know if you're a rancher or if you're retired or if you're a school teacher or a grandmother or if you're a businessman or if you're an IT or whatever you do, you are in the ministry. And I'm going to prove it to you right now. And look at me, and I say this with love. We have thrown this ministry in the trash can. To use computer analogy, we've hit the delete button on what Jesus has given us. And we're going to see it right here in verse 18. Now this is the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who has he given it to? Us! His spiritual sons and daughters, us who are followers of Jesus Christ, us who are his bondservants. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that if, if your sister and your brother are not getting along, that he's called you to be the mediator to reconcile them? No, that's not, that, that's good, but that's not what this verse, that's not what this passage is talking about. Here's what it's talking about. Namely, verse 19, we could put in the word specifically, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Guess what? Sometimes we have to open our mouth. Sometimes it's not just, you know, opening a door for somebody, leaving a building, and saying, you know, and just murmuring, God bless you, maybe, or, or, or nothing. It's, there's a word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I started this message with, who am I? Yes, you're a son and a daughter. Yes, you're forgiven. Yes, you're healed. Yes, you're free in Jesus. Yes, you're under grace. Yes, you are loved. Yes, you are a bondservant. Yes, you are an ambassador. So act like it. Be an ambassador. You represent the King of Kings. You represent the Lord of glory. And if you, and if you have an atheist, say, I'm sorry for you. I count it as a badge of honor. We are spit upon. That same square you saw the video, we were there a few weeks ago, that was 2018. One of our leaders was absolutely spit upon by a, a just demonized, angry man. And he said to me, his name is Greg, and, and, and he said, Jeff, I counted it an honor for Jesus Christ. Who cares? I just continue to say Jesus loves you. So. Let me, let me read on. We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating. That word could be translated, you know, I studied in the Greek. It's like God is making an appeal. He's making an appeal through us. Look at the emotion here. Look at the, look at the passion. He's appealing through us that we beg you, the lost, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is for every one of us, even you young ones, even you teenagers or preteens. Do you believe in heaven and hell? Do you believe in eternity? I said this in the first service as a crazy thought. I, God gave me this thought a few years ago. I shared it when I taught at a Bible college in Colorado a few years ago. If you were to spend 30 seconds in hell, it would change everything. It would change your perspective of your life on this earth. If you were to spend 30 seconds in heaven, it would change everything. 
And you know what? Jesus actually talked more about hell than he did heaven. And you read the Gospels, you'll see that. Right down Luke 16, he devoted half of Luke 16 to talk about the finality, the finality of hell, the torture of hell. Jesus, if you have a red letter, letter Bible, it's all in red. And if we experience the horrors of hell for just a few seconds, or if we experience the splendor of heaven for just a few seconds, Greg, it would change everything. It would change our priorities. We, we can't go there, but Jesus, he tells us about it in his word. I was praying about this message, and, and I shared this in the first service, and I want to give you a practical action step you can take. Because I said love is action, love is giving. Jesus sent the mountain twos. And you can't go to a big city square. I mean, you have a beautiful square here in Granbury years ago. My wife and I stayed in a bed and breakfast there. But Europe is, is crazy. You've got these big subway stations, train stations, thousands of people milling a square. That's why we do it. But here in Granbury, you can find a lot of people in a Walmart. You can, two of you, you two young ladies here, you can go into Walmart and, and you can have a few extra dollars in your wallet. If your budget is low and your faith is low, go to the express lane, okay, <laughs> at HEB. And, and maybe it's a few less dollars. But you can, you can just get in a line and you can pray before you go and say, Lord, give us a divine appointment today. And just the two people standing behind you, that's your divine appointment. Or the, or the woman standing behind you is your divine appointment. And you just, you, you buy whatever, a stick of butter. You buy anything to get in the express lane. And that woman standing behind you is, is your first ministry. It's called Walmart evangelism. Just spoke it, made it up right here. But, <clears throat> but you can go and you say to the clerk, you see what the woman has behind you. And you, you estimate, okay, that's 15 bucks. You give the clerk 20 bucks, and you say, I'm paying for her. So when you ring her up, you count that 20, you take that $20 bill, and you apply it to what she has. You don't even worry about if there's change or not. You're just sewing it into the kingdom. And then you, you don't just leave, you know, kind of stealth, invisible evangelist. You stay right there. So when she walks out, you've just, you've just created a tie with her because you just blessed her. And you don't just say, God bless you. You say, Jesus Christ changed my life 10 years ago, five years ago, whatever. I met him. I used to know about him. Now I experience him every day. And he put in my heart to just show a little love to you and to ask you if you've ever experienced his love, if you've ever been born again, or, or a, a hundred other different things you could say. And you just share the gospel. And you've got great leaders here. They can help you contextualize how to share the gospel in 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Y'all tracking with me? Three things can happen if you do something like that. Do we have that on the screen? Three things will happen. Just read it. Jesus' heart for his lost sheep will be formed in you. Remember Mark 1.17? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Aren't you glad it doesn't say, I'll make myself? But we have to step out. We have to be in the go. We have to get in the water and start swimming. 
And the second thing is, lives will be impacted for eternity. Again, it's not up to you to save people. That's up to the Holy Spirit. But Pastor Allen, it is up to us. We are called to Matthew 13 to be sowers of seed. And we want to put seed in our pocket, and we want to empty our pockets. So we will impact lives for eternity. Number three, Generations Church will grow. And I know, I know their hearts. That's the least important. That's the least important of these three. But I tell you what, he used 11 to change the world. Can he use 200 or so to change his city? Of course he can. Of course he can. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, it's not up on the screen, it's Acts 17.5. It's when the Jews were looking for Paul, and I believe it was Silas at this point. And they went to that, they went to Jason, this guy Jason. You guys know the story. I think it's Acts 17.5 or 6. And it says, are you housing, are you keeping these two men who are turning the world upside down? Why not? Why not turn a city upside down? Why not just go for it? Why not get spit on? Why not get a little rejection? Who cares? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you're blessed. You are blessed when you're persecuted, when you're reviled for my name's sake. And then the fourth thing that I didn't put up here, thought of it later, all of your problems, all those big mountains in your life are going to seem smaller when you start investing in people who are standing right next to you, who do not know the Lord. So <clears throat> at EI, we have an expression, four words, people lovers and truth tellers. Put the next slide up. I'm just... This is our heart. Until the compassion of Jesus in you becomes greater than your fears. How many of you are afraid to talk to people? Be honest. It's time. I'm making an appeal to you. I am. I am. I considered not talking to that woman on the plane. I thought of the 10 reasons why I didn't want to. Does anybody else have fears? Come on. I, 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 I would expect to see 80, 90% of the hands up. Do you have fears of talking to people? Thank you for being honest. Well, you know how you deal with that? Just in humility. We're going to pray right now. Just close your eyes, close your hearts. <clears throat> we've talked today about, <clears throat> Lord, we've talked about who am I? What we've learned in your word, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We've talked today about who do I love? And all of us here in this room, we love you, Jesus. And that means we love whom you love. And then we talked about where am I going? And Jesus, we are following you. We are holding your hand and we're following you to your prodigals who are all around us. So Lord, we say to you though, that we are weak. <clears throat> Lord, in 2 Corinthians 12, you said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And Lord, I come to you. I have many weaknesses. I have many fears. I am selfish. I am apathetic sometimes. I'm just tired sometimes. Sometimes I feel like it won't make a difference if I share the gospel. Forgive me, God. Forgive me for all of my weaknesses. Forgive me for all of my baggage. And Lord, would you, like you promised in Mark 117, would you change my heart? Would you make us 
would you form your compassion in us that we would be light and salt, that we would be go-getters, that we would that we would hold on your hand and jump into the adventure of bringing souls with us to heaven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want you to meditate. And uh, we'll have a response for you in a bit. And let's just worship right now. Just meditate before the Lord. Praise we could ever bring. 